0: This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. I'm your host, Gianna Hearn. Today, we're continuing the study of the Gospel of Mark, focusing on chapter 8, verses 14 through 21. The guys are on the video call with me. Michael, what's up? Ready to get into it?
1: I am. I'm still trying to recover from our laughing from before we started recording, but I think I'm composed and together now.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of nervous sweat going on. I don't know if you need to know that, but uh, it's part of pregnancy and probably part of just the topics we were talking about were just too much. And I would typically ask Jason how he's doing, but I know he's really not going to give us a response. So maybe we should jump into the just scripture.
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: okay. It. Yeah. I'm going to take this one. Like I said, we're jumping into Mark chapter eight and verses 14 through 21. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many basketfuls? Of pieces did you pick up 12 they replied and when i broke the seven loaves for the four thousand how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up they answered seven he said to them do you still not understand <laughs> who was laughing and why i don't
1: know we're both giggling and <laughs> we have no reason
0: this is why i don't read everyone
1: no it has nothing to do with that this is from pre show giggling oh man it's I'm just sorry. carried over so um people are going to be listening to this and be like what a bunch yeah. of weirdos
2: yeah. <laughs> that that feeling of when you're you're trying not to laugh is like worse than anything so yeah it is right. it's,
0: it's I bad. heard what you, like were, you embarrassed me yesterday at sushi could not stop laughing but Hopefully, we go. get okay. ourselves yeah. together. Well and get done. Back All right. All right. Well done I'll get serious.
1: Reading. Here we yeah. go. Here we go. Reading glasses on.
0: Yes.
1: Um, so, if Mark is a movie, if the Gospel of Mark is a movie, this scene, this chapter is where the music starts to pick up and you know that you know, some big moment oh, is is about to happen, right? It hasn't happened yet, but the music's picking up I and like you that. know something's yeah. going to happen. And and that's really this scene. It ties together several of the previous scenes. Um, and it's it's coming to a point where it's really, as readers, I think we're supposed to be asking, are the disciples going to finally get it or not? are they going to understand who Jesus is and what he's doing so we do this every week what do you guys see in this passage what things as we have our reading glasses on jump out at you that are patterns or things that are important that mark is doing or that we've seen before or you know just that jump out at you in general uh, what what do we got in this passage
0: well from the very beginning what i notice is that there was this theme each time Jesus was feeding the thousands in either one of the stories that they needed to remember. And this one just starts off with they had forgotten. So the opposite of remembering sticks out to me. And then, um, this is like, I think the fourth time in Mark that we're now talking about like bread and (laughs) some type of provision. Um, and then so for Jesus to obviously go in and say, like, have you not gotten it yet? Like, I don't think he's saying it in the manner in which I'm saying it kind of like sarcastically and annoyed. I don't know if Jesus is annoyed, but I wonder what Jesus is thinking when he says that. Um, but also mm-hmm. what I notice is this is the first time that Jesus isn't just saying or the writer here is not just putting out there like there was this many baskets. There was this and they needed to remember blah blah blah. Now Jesus himself is saying, okay, do you remember we did this? Do you remember we did this? He's laying it out for them. Are you connecting it here? Like that was for a reason what I did and everything for you guys to see. Yet we're still here. So those are just some quick things that jumped out to me.
1: Love it. Jason, what do you got?
2: Um I th- yeah, it's yeah, the bread, of course. I I when I was reading this before we, we hopped on the call, I, um, I just like this. Yeah. The whole tendency to misunderstand, uh, what, what God is like, like it, it stands out to me that they're, they're like, uh, you know, it's because we forgot to bring bread. And I imagine, and I, I know so many Christians and, and, and and leaders think like this. I don't know them all, but I know I know many Christians think like this where it's like uh you know, we were faithless because we didn't prepare more, we didn't work harder, we didn't pay attention and it's funny in our in our effort to try to be ready for all situations, we actually Um, like that, that wasn't the problem, I guess. Like, so that just stood out to me that like, what was missing was their, um, expectation that God could do something. They were more like, we, we blew it. Um, so, uh, that's not a very profound point, but that did stand out to
1: me. Oh, I think it is though. I think think that's, oh yeah, absolutely. With, especially with the idea of the, the kingdom of abundance in invading, the the cosmic realm of scarcity, Right. Right. um, I I think that is an important point. And I I think bread plays a role in that. We see Jesus on a boat once again, Mm -hmm. a lot of of boats in Mark, especially. Um, I think in this passage, Mark continues, and dare I say even ramps up the use of the terms of perception. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Big time. You know, in fact, in verse 15 is another one of those where it says Jesus warned them. In the original language, it actually says, Look, watch out. Yeah. So there's like two terms there for seeing.
2: It stood out to me this morning in my arena because it's, yeah, horate blepete. Like it's like look, look, but two different words for look. (laughs) I'm like, what? Like uh, it, it clearly must be an emphasis thing, right?
1: And and it's a, it is, and it's a, it's a harken back to the parable of the Sower, which he started out with that too, right? right. right? With that double sort of perception. Yeah. Um, And so we, we, we have that going on a lot and, and there's a point to that because this is actually really filling into the next section where seeing really gets ramped up as far as, you know, who's, who sees, who's blind, who understands, who doesn't. Um, and so Mark is going to continue that language. It's, it's really ramping up here. And it, and, it, and it makes it feel like things are coming to a head. And they are, in a sense. Um, I think in this passage, it jumps out, you know, the, the seven and the 12. We, we mentioned that, like, okay, what, what does it mean? And I've I've heard a lot of sermons that are like I don't know what it means, um, and and so you know can we know that? I think we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. I think we've done the work here that we can have a pretty good idea of what Mark intended with that. Um, it's clear though that the disciples are still not getting it. Uh, in fact, e- even more so, they're they're not getting the basics of what's going on, and they're not getting that you know, Jesus can provide and they're just missing all of that. Um, and then I think the final thing here is a question that jumps out at me is what is the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod? That, that seems like an important, uh, element. And obviously yeast is connected with the idea of bread. You need bread, uh, to rise, uh, Bread without yeast is terrible, right? It's, I mean, I I know we use it for for communion oftentimes, but I mean, you know, that's unique. But well, I shouldn't say it's terrible. I prefer bread with yeast in it. Right. I want I want some substantive uh, bread. So, um, Jason, I think you put yourself on mute if you were just talking. go.
2: Yeah, the 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 whole idea of the matzot, the um the unleavened bread is to describe the haste with which Israel had to leave bondage. It wasn't right. like here here's the best recipe <clears throat> uh for for a good meal.
1: And it's interesting cuz in the New Testament yeast is used as a positive symbol and a negative symbol.
2: Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. The parable of the, the, the pinch of yeast, right? Yeah. Yeah. The the kingdom
1: is compared to yeast, but so is sin. Yeah. So there's nothing bad in yeast itself. It's simply used oftentimes as a symbol. So there's that in there. So let's go to the time machine here and start wading through some of these things. What did this look like in context? Um, I'm going to throw this one to G. G, Jesus said seven baskets, 12 baskets. Do you still not understand? We've talked about this a couple times now, Gianna. I have faith in you. Oh, no. <laughs> what, what is the deal with the seven baskets and the 12 baskets?
0: Well, the 12 baskets reminds me just of the 12 <laughs> Uh, twelve. I'm I'm losing my train of thought, but not families, but obviously to do with the with Israel, the like twelve yeah. tribes, twelve families. Thank yeah. you. There you go. I couldn't think of the word families. Tribes was not coming to me, and a seven representing uh, the seven. I think Gentile groups that were. Formed, yes. I can't remember the exact terms that we use, but this whole idea of the 12 insiders and the seven outsider groups. And so this idea of God providing for all people and his provision is, is abundant. Um, yes. That's kind of what I remember.
1: Love it. It's, it's available to insiders and outsiders, right? Um. There, there you go. Jason, anything to add to that?
2: No, that's great.
1: Yeah. So, okay. So that's that's kind of a, a baseline here. Now, Jesus says a, a couple of things here. He says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? So there's those perception terms again. Um, and his his question there in verse 18 really stands on the ground of Jeremiah 5, 21 and Ezekiel 12, too. And uh, may, maybe it'll be good to read those quickly. So I'll, I'll read them. Jeremiah 5, yep. verse 21 says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people. Who have eyes, but do not see, who have ears, but do not hear. And then Ezekiel um, 12 and verse 2 says, Son of man, you are living among among a rebellious people. They have eyes to see, but they do not see, and ears to hear, but they do not hear, for they are a rebellious people. And there's also some of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10 in there as well. But I think it's interesting to consider, again, we've talked about this, if there's an allusion to an Old Testament passage, it's not just plucking the words out of the passage. There's there's usually an appeal to the context of the situation as well. And in Jeremiah 5, for example, We we see God declaring judgment against Jerusalem for thinking basically that just because they're Israel, they're good and they can go on doing whatever they want with impunity that, uh, you know, they can just kind of carry on and live however they want. God is like, that's not how it works. You're talking a good game, but you're missing who I am. You're not understanding who I am or what I want from my people. So they, they were proclaiming to be God's people. They were, they were clinging to morality and righteousness, but they were missing the heart of what it meant to be God's people. And oftentimes that took the form of um, oppression and neglecting uh, the most vulnerable and continuing systems of injustice and so on, which were, were evidence that they had missed the point of being God's people, so their lives—they they spoke one thing, but their lives mimicked the values and principles of the world. Um, mm. How would I do there, Jason? Is that a fair summary? Uh, yeah, of- I,
2: it's just it's such a scathing rebuke. <laughs> I mean, Je- I mean, most of Jeremiah is, anyways. But the more familiar you become with Jeremiah, the more you start to see Jesus as really doing something almost identical, uh, maybe even, uh, raising the stakes a little with the way Jesus, uh, because the moment is, is closer to what God is, you know, a, a, a massive judgment. Um, but the, um, yeah, like in chapter seven of Jeremiah, you know, he gets on, the, the Lord tells him to go stand at the, at the, at the entrance, uh, to the temple and, and basically denounce the temple say, so you just keep coming here and saying that we have the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Like there's this sense that because of our great religion, because of our election, uh, because of our, our doctrines and, and, and our place in the world and the, and the mission we have, because our mission is so noble to be uh, the people of God, um, that we're safe. We're always safe. So we don't need to worry too much. We just need to keep up with you know our our way of life. Keep being you know don't be don't ever be insecure about who we are. Always be certain of of of, of the the place we have in the world. Um, and again, we see this over and over. That way of being the people of God is blinding to the actual truth of what God's. You start to become hardened, and so the idea that this way of um, thinking about Israel is being mapped onto via language and illusion. The disciples is very frightening. Um, And, and I think that's Mark's point is it's, it's frightening. You got, you got to, you got to pay attention. Like it's not a matter of going through motions. Um, And I think it's funny. I was praying through this, this morning, like, when we ask God for miracles, we imagine that miracles will convince us. Well, obviously that doesn't happen to the best of us. <laughs> like right. uh, like just seeing something crazy. Like think of Israel coming out of Egypt through God's mighty hand, and it takes a chapter before they're already disillusioned. And these disciples are, you know, they've seen so many, like in verses 11 through 13 in chapter 8, we read about the Pharisees and Jesus. You know, they want to sign and they get no sign, but these apostles have had lots of signs and they've had at least two now involving bread and it did nothing. (laughs) Like (laughs) That's just like, I mean, I mean, that's us right over their heads. Yeah. yeah, That's me. That's, that's my church. That's our uh, condition as human beings. We just, it's so easy to not pay attention and kind of fall asleep at the wheel. So yes. what exactly these texts could do in us and through us, I, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I think it's driving at some, as always, some self-reflection uh, or some, by self, I mean, us as mm. modern day contemporary church, whatever. Um, yeah, so, yeah. And
1: all the more sobering when we remember that Mark is really using the disciples as, right. as stand-ins. For the church.
2: Yeah. 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 And
1: challenging us by saying, I want you to identify yourselves with the disciples, walk in their shoes. Well, now ask yourselves some hard questions. Yeah. Are are you missing the point too?
2: It's heavy. It's heavy. And it's it's um it's really easy to pass it off and just be like, Well, that's not us. Like I could see where that could happen, but that's not me that's not my group that's not my family yeah. and i think i'm at a point where in my life where i'm like you know now i'm like false like that's right. me like like i i i hate it but there are yeah. places in my life where i yes. discount the good works of god in history like big sweeping global societal things like like the exodus <laughs> like i mean things that have a yeah. ripple effect th- for all history but then even the the the, the ways that the, the many different, so to speak, bread baskets that I have left over, you know, metaphorically speaking, in mm. my life that I just like forget it. Uh, it doesn't matter. Yes. We're on to a new challenge. And so God did that then. But it's not a guarantee that he'll do something uh, great or be faithful now. Um, yeah. And so it's just a, it's a disease in many well, ways.
1: I think that's a really good point, Jason. And as I think about that, I think, and I'm going to overgeneralize here, but when I grew up, I think there's a tendency to, to implement that mode of thinking by saying, okay, yeah, a lot of people who claim to be Christian are missing it. Right. You know, if we're reading, they're not getting it, but our group is getting it.
2: Yeah. We're the ones
1: we have it on. Right. But now I think that's shifting to where there's much more of um, uh, people are in a mode of rather than our group has it right. And those other groups have it wrong. We're starting to look within our own group and go, they all are missing it. I've got it right. Yeah. Right. And so it becomes more personalized, like, well, well, they're off track and, Wow. And there does have to be some of that, like, are, are are they off track? Are we off track? But that's where it hits home for me is I tend to, of course, want to give myself a pass and go, well, I, I'm the one who's got this figured out. And then everyone else is missing the boat. But that's not Mark's point. Mark's point is, no, Michael Burns, are you understanding who Jesus is? Yep. Jason Alexander, are you understanding and following Jesus? Gianna Hearn, are you following Jesus? Right. She's already nodding her head and like,
2: like yes, I am. Like, <laughs> I'm telling right.
1: everyone that. But it's out of right. the three of us, <laughs> right? She's like, why, why even question that? Yeah, of the three of us, well, uh, not, that that's not much obvious, of a yes.
2: victory, though.
1: <laughs> that, that's true. But that's true.
0: I do see in this passage, and something that caught my eye was. You know, and the writers mentioning Herod and the Pharisees, oh, and right. I took notice too. Why those two distinct people? And I know in uh, parallel yes. passages in other books, uh, it's they talk about the Sadducees or they talk about just Herod or different things. So I was just wondering why Mark picked yeah. these two.
1: Yep. Such a great question. Here's here's what i think on this and jason feel free to jump in i think um they're very paradigmatic in the sense that the pharisees were were religious leaders they were very serious about it they believed many of the same doctrines that jesus had they were probably the closest group to jesus and in, in just sheer basic doctrines um But they were missing the heart of God. Jesus kind of captures that in Matthew 23 when he says, you know, you're I mean, you're following the law to the the tiniest little letter. You're you're tithing on your spices, um, but you're missing the, 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 the heart of God here. You know, justice and mercy and those kind of things. So that's one end of it. Herod then is paradigmatic of the other end. He's. Full-born empire, um, mm-hmm. power, and so they're they're exercising power over others in different ways. And what the, they're both kind of op- opposite ends of the spectrum of behaviors that run counter to the kingdom of God and the new creation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what mattered to them in different ways, but what mattered to both of them was holding on to their possessions, their positions, their power. Uh, protecting and preserving their social status, Uh, they had the yeast of self-orientation, self-promotion, willingness to seize power on God's behalf and exploit others. Again, they're doing it on opposite ends of the spectrum, but they, they are doing even perhaps the right things in the wrong way. The, the ends justify the means sort of things. And, and Jesus is saying that's, that's not how the kingdom works. How you do it is as important as what you do. It's got to be the kingdom on display. And so they had missed the secret of the kingdom. They, they were the models of, of missing the secret of the way of the cross. Um, Jesus said in back in the parable of the sower again, chapter four, verses 10 to 12, that the secret was being given to the disciples. And here's the climactic moment of Mark. Um, y- you're still failing to perceive this. You are on the precipice of going that route. You are right on the edge of you are going to totally miss this and be completely blind spiritually. The insiders are missing it. The outsiders are the ones getting it. Time is running short. This is coming to a head. Jason, anything to add to that?
2: So is it kind of like, it's almost like church and state in a sense. Like Mm. religion and and Mm. empire, uh, kind
0: of. That's what I was seeing when I was reading about this earlier, and that's why I wanted to bring this up because it seemed like you know, don't let the yeast or the corruption of the man-made laws of religion versus the corruption that can come from allowing political structure also enter the kingdom. So it was like two different ends of the spectrum, which I think that's just what I took from yeah,
1: it. Yeah, no, that's really good. And there's there's not as sharp of a distinction back then between religion and politics right, as right we would right. make today. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But there's still, you know, different spheres to a degree and spectrum. So Jesus is kind of covering the whole thing um, and he's challenging them. But that's a challenge that I think, again, rings as true today um, for the church, for us. Are we watching out for the yeast of Uh, you know, missing the kingdom of, yeah. Of agendas, agendas, right. Things done the wrong ways of, you know, using power and those sorts of things. And so we need to apply that to the real world and the situations we find around us today.
0: Yeah. And we have a lot of situations happening. And Jason, go ahead and go ahead.
2: No, I was just going to, I was going to share this like, um, from RT France's, uh, uh the new international greek testament commentary he he says to link antipas with the pharisees is to focus not so much on ideological opponents alone as those who for different reasons constitute a real threat to jesus's life <clears throat> and i haven't thought enough about what he's saying there but but what i hear him <clears throat> telling the disciples if any of that's true is that you could find yourself an opponent of God because the Pharisees don't agree with me. Herod doesn't agree with me. Like they're against the kingdom of God. And that same spirit of doubt, of faithlessness, of failure to pay attention is is like a pinch of leaven, which is enough to ruin the whole batch of dough. It's in you. You got to be careful that you don't end up like a Pharisee on the one hand or as Herod on the other, Um, because both come with a cloak of, like, um, it's not that bad. The religious leaders are protected safely from looking bad because they know the Bible well. And Herod is protected from looking bad because he has power behind him. And so there's this, like, real danger. And all of that's connected to whether or not they're paying attention. Um, And I love that it's 11 because the image is – It doesn't have to be like this big sweeping paradigm shift that you intentionally undergo. It's a more subtle thing that happens under the radar if you're not paying attention. Um, Anyways.
0: No, I like that ad a lot. I want to pose this question to you guys as we move into our take a selfie section. How does something like Jesus' warning of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod become relevant for us today? We don't have Pharisees and Herods long gone. So do they still have meaning for us today? Does this story still have meaning for us? For example, the news about Roe versus Wade. It's been dominating headlines this week. Would this passage hold any relevance for that situation?
1: Okay. Um, G wants to go there. All right. Let's go it's there. Relevant. Yeah. No, it is. True. It is. It's true. And, I, um, you
0: know, so many in our movement and just people in the world and people in America specifically are talking about this and dealing with their emotions on this. Yeah. So it's only right that we see, is there any relevance to what we're talking about in Mark?
1: Oh, a- absolutely. And I think not just this passage, although we'll, we'll kind of focus on that. So it'll be a little bit, uh, biting in, in some ways, um, uh, and challenging as a thought. But I, you know, I, I think a couple of things that are important to say at the beginning is one is we are just awful in this country right now at holding different opinions from one another. Um, we have fallen into a culture of, of demonizing of taking the very worst examples from another side and then normalizing that as though everybody on that side believes, uh, all of that to the extreme. We, um, if you you don't believe everything I believe, then you are my complete enemy and must be taken down. Um, We run these shibboleth tests, you know, do do you believe this? And if you don't believe exactly like I believe, well, then you've got to be silenced and shut down. And it's funny because we do talk about cancel culture in the world a lot, but in a lot of ways, cancel culture Uh, was created in the church. (laughs) And we gave that to the world. Um, And, you know so I think we've got to avoid all those extremes and approach these sort of things with with gentleness and respect and truth absolutely and you know all of but balancing all of these things. And so I would also say it's important to say at the beginning that um, uh, you know uh, for me, I believe uh, abortion is not a part of the new creation life. It's not, The ideal of the kingdom it is it is a deep tragedy it is the ending of um uh, an image bearer of god and so it it is not something that i would um support and mass or you know and anything it it is it, it is a tragedy no matter how you strike it in in many different ways um I also think it's important to affirm that Roe versus Wade, in my opinion, was a bad ruling. It was poorly constructed. It was uh, harmful in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of bad laws in the United States and in other countries. Uh, but, and like many bad laws, it didn't reflect kingdom life. Um, but the United States is not the kingdom. So that makes it more difficult, right? Mm-hmm. We can't just say, well, the United States, all the laws should uh, reflect the, the God's law and the biblical law that people have to choose the kingdom. It can't be forced on them even through laws. Um, you have to get people, I think, to, to choose that and want those things, change hearts. Uh, I also would say I don't judge or demonize anyone who's had to go through an abortion. Or had to wrestle with that struggle, I would affirm the message that God loves you, uh, has not given up on you, wants to include you in his kingdom. Uh, But I think there's some questions that we have to ask. One is, or, or some things we have to realize, is that the kingdom precedent that we find in the New Testament does not really ever go to the degree of we must stop this at all costs and embrace that mentality.
2: Yeah, that's Um, troubling. If that
1: was the case, what would you say, Jason? I said, that's
2: troubling. You wish wish that would happen.
1: We do. In fact, we read Paul and we go, why didn't Paul, when he's writing about slavery, just go, we must end slavery now? It's (laughs) wrong. Well, it's more complex than that. And Paul knows a couple of things. One is that he Paul clearly doesn't endorse slavery, um, doesn't see it as uh, cohesive with the kingdom of God, but also knows you can't just go rip everything out by the roots. Number one, if you try to do that, the only way to, to end slavery in the Roman Empire is by seizing worldly power. You have to somehow have power. You have to use violence, something along those lines. He also knows that that. Um, it would not necessarily be the most uh, loving act to immediately, uh, you know, expel all slaves and put them out on their own. Um, now, this is not this is a different kind of slavery than transatlantic slave trading that America wrestled with later. So, I think we have to use different sort of discernment, and different wisdom, and probably come out with different solutions. We can't just pick Paul. Paul's response in the first century out and drop it in the uh, 19th century and then say, well, Paul fell short here, um, because I think Paul would have responded differently. But he didn't just go with, hey, by any means necessary, we got to stop this. The early Christians didn't do that with exposure. They said we have to use kingdom means to bring an end um, as quickly as we can to these tragedies. But we can't just do it however um, and exposure, by the way, was the a Roman equivalent of abortion, even though they did have abortion in the ancient world. The Romans just often had the baby born and then you could put it outside and expose it to the elements until it died. And um, r- r- the Christians would go around and take these babies and raise them, adopt them, even though you weren't supposed to do that. But l- let me pose a few questions here that I think we have to ask ourselves some difficult questions. Um, and these aren't, you know, aimed at, oh, now I'm going to go after one side of the political aisle and give the other one a pass. It's not that at all. Um, although some of these questions are maybe more aimed at at some of the conservative uh, type thinking actions lately because that's what won the day here. And so I think we have to ask some questions of that side. But I, I really have... Uh, consistently, I think, tried to reject for the people of God the whole right-left conservative liberal binary as the way that we should be viewing the world anyways. Um, and, and for goodness sake, let's stop splitting in the kingdom over these uh, political identities that we should not be embracing. So these are really intended to be kingdom type questions, and not everybody may agree with them. But um, But I think we have to ask ourselves, have American Christians created a consistent culture of life? Uh, it, It goes beyond just ending abortion as much as I want to see that ended as a practice. I think we're called biblically to create a consistent culture of life. One of the examples was in in the 19th century, you had abolitionists who wanted to end slavery. And I'm not equating slavery and abortion as the same exact type of issue. But I think there's some principles that we can learn and apply. Um, most abolitionists, if you study history, were still white supremacists. They were still what we would call today uh, racist, to use that term, you know, in a in a That's not the way I typically use that term, but that's the way it's often used in the vernacular. Um, But they were prejudiced, but they didn't like slavery. They wanted slavery to end. They fought against it, but that became their sole goal. They did not create a culture of equality or demand it. And so when slavery ended, they walked away. Job done. Mission over. When the South began to push back too hard, they dropped Reconstruction like a bad habit, and they moved on. And we are still feeling the reverberations of that today in our society because we ended slavery, but people didn't care enough to institute a culture of equality in the country. So, have we made the same mistake? Have we gone after and said, okay, the brass ring here is Roe versus Wade? That's done now. We've reached it, problem solved. And are we going to focus on creating a true culture of life that, uh, you know, because in many ways, evangelical Christians have failed. We've embraced a culture of death that's foreign to the teachings of Jesus, death and violence and uh, not truly went after life and flourishing for uh, all people, for You know, the poor, the vulnerable, the the orphan, the immigrant, those sorts of things. we focused on this one thing. So have we created a a culture of life? I, I got a couple other questions, but do you guys want to say anything on that? No, I think we can keep
0: going. I'll have some stuff after that.
1: Okay, okay. I think another question we have to ask ourselves is: Has American Christianity been consistent about systemic problems and solutions? It's it's difficult, uh, I think, for some people because they would look and say, "I see American Christians," and I'm kind of speaking as though it's one whole thing there, which I know it's not. There's many different opinions. But the the one that tends to rule the day often rejects solutions to racial problems, for instance, because it denies that there's systemic sin and systemic solutions. uh, And they instead opt for you deal with racism at the personal level. That's the only way Um, I see a similar thing with uh, rejecting gun control reform. You can't do it at a systemic level because the problem is personal evil. So you have to deal with the person, not the system. But then when it comes to abortion, now you you suddenly switch around and you go, oh, no, no, no. The solution is not at the personal level and changing hearts. Now it is systemic and we're going to deal with it as a systemic level. Again, I'm pro-life. I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not for abortion. But are we sending a message to the culture around us that is consistent and I don't think that the change needs to happen in necessarily the approach to abortion. I think the change needs to happen in other areas to be consistent. Um, has Here's another question. Has American Christianity embraced a biblical worldview or not? I think a case could be made that we have at times become so indoctrinated into hyper individualism that, again, we will reject any system to assist those in need on a large scale. And we'll just say, oh, it's socialism. Uh, now, let me be clear. I'm not in favor of Marxism or hardcore socialism or uh, those sorts of things. But we have fall into this thing where anything we don't like now, we label as socialism and then just reject it out of hand and don't have to think about it. Um, and how are we going to solve some of these problems uh, through a biblical worldview? Are we doing it or have we become so individualized, so nationalistic, so um, American sort of dream that we often miss the biblical worldview. I think another question we have to ask is, was this effective? There's been so much effort in the last 50 years, um, and, and it's almost as if people have come to believe, well, if we just get judges in place, if we just do whatever we have to do and get Roe versus Wade overturned, that will solve the abortion problem. But the most optimistic even um, projections I've seen is that this will reduce abortions by 10 percent. Now, that's good. Uh, we want to reduce and have as few abortions as absolutely possible. But there is a lot of time and effort put into this. Will it accomplish what we hope it will? I, I read an article The other day that said um, Judge Roberts, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, had a different opinion that he wrote, a dissenting opinion. And he thought that they should have just stopped at outlawing the original Mississippi law that was um, before the court. And if they would have done that, it would have basically banned abortions anywhere in the country um, uh, beyond 15 weeks. Experts say that probably would have cut abortions by 15 percent. But now you have with Roe versus Wade overturned, what it really does is turn it back over to the states. So some states will absolutely outlaw abortion. OK, but some states now have no restrictions on abortions. And so you, you have that situation. So did this accomplish what we hope it will? And what was the cost was it, and this leads into the next question, were kingdom methods used? Uh, or was it, because uh, what I've seen is more uh, a lot of political power, naked manipulation, um, you know, whatever you have to do to get your people in place and get this overturned, because so much emphasis is put on this one law. And I see a lot of Christians who that, they felt like that was their duty. I'll speak out against it. I'll vote every four years. I'll pull the lever, but you know where is that culture of life being created? What else are you doing to reduce this problem to help the vulnerable and needy? Those sorts of things that we see the church doing in the 19th century and radically reducing the abortion rate because they 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 went after <clears throat> excuse me they went after health care. Um, And making it more accessible to people they created programs for the poor they created foster and adoption systems and made that easier and they radically reduced what was very high abortion rates before that without resorting to political power and they were actually far more effective than than we have been um did we forego the work of changing hearts and going the way of the cross being a sacrifice the latest polls I've seen are about 70 percent of people in the country are still in favor of abortion in one way or another. So it doesn't seem like we've changed hearts. So will this be a lasting change when you haven't used kingdom methods that actually change hearts and invite people into longer term change? Um, so those, you know, those are questions we have to ask, I think, uh, a couple more quickly here. Are we consistent about claims that? Some issues are a distraction of the gospel, while others are central. And so I see this a lot. Well, abortion, that's important to me. Anti-homosexual, transgender issues, those are important to me. So those are central to the gospel. But then things like justice, protection for the poor, you know, um, treatment of the immigrant, oh, those are distractions from the gospel, even though the Bible says more about those topics than it does the first set of topics. I'm not discounting those first set of topics. But we can be very inconsistent about claiming some things are central to the gospel and others are distractions. Uh, I'm not giving the answers on any of these things. I'm asking the questions. Um, I, I, I think maybe on the other end a little bit, when Christians say that we stand for women's choice, are we biblically consistent with that? Are we affirming that, yes, others have the right to personal freedom, but there are sometimes limitations on that? Um, are we ourselves thinking along the veins of, um, as Christians, we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to God. We don't have just 100% personal autonomy. Uh, are we forgetting those sorts of things? Um, <clears throat> Through throughout the last 50 years, have we demonstrated consistent love, justice and mercy for all, um, you know, and and then I think um, where sin exists, we have to think carefully. We, we It's going to be messy. We can't just rush, rush in and pull out all the weeds by any means necessary, because that can often do more harm than good. And if we use non-kingdom methods um it it can turn against us. You know, I see the early um Christians being criticized by the culture around them for, you know, their beliefs and things like that. But they also very much affirm these people actually love and take care of those in need. They they never criticize their methods. I don't see any criticisms of like they're just raging hypocrites and they're this and that, but I do see a lot of that today because when you veer into using methods of the world, you wind up having real issues. So I think the last question is what what comes next, but I'll I'll shelf that for now and throw it over to you guys for uh, your thoughts.
0: Jason, if you'd like to go first here as the two, with the most biblical knowledge I'd want to hear from you two first before I jump in.
2: Well, I don't know how, <laughs> how much biblical knowledge uh, should <laughs> give me uh, a, a soapbox. But but I, I guess, so Michael, I hear what, what you're saying is like, the challenge is the way we imagine problems can be solved. This, you, you're kind of, your, your way of thinking is like, we're, we're, we're waging a war with all the wrong weapons, kind of. Oh.
1: Well i'm I'm definitely asking those questions. yeah I, I definitely am and and I, I feel like I need to keep saying so that I'm I'm not miscast here I, I, I don't I'm not for abortion. I, yeah. I I would love to see it wiped off the face of the earth. I think it's a terrible tragedy, but I think how we go about it is as important. And and that's really the whole yeast of the Pharisees thing is Jesus is challenging them is you can't bring about the kingdom through means of power and position and self-focus and self-preservation and, you know, manipulation and politics and all those sorts of things. Right, right. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think the, the furthest I would go is to say that... Uh, <clears throat> Most of especially Paul's letters. Um, well, it's not just Paul because I, I think the Sermon on the Mount is aimed at the same kind of thing. Like um, there, there isn't a law you could give to broken humanity that they won't break from the deepest parts of who they are, <laughs> even right. if they can keep them outwardly. Um, and, and so that the the remedy. Um, is the, the great love of God, which has the ability to cure the heart and set the heart right. And God gives his very spirit that we might become, um, new people who instinctively live, um, to put it generically, the good life, uh, to put it technically would be the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ. Um, now, it sounds like what I'm saying then is the answer is we have to make disciples. And, and, and I, I think I'd be fine with that, uh, though I realize how oversimplified that sounds. Um, but but there, is, there is a danger in imagining that um, if we can enact the right laws, we will, by that um, route, anticipate the reign of God. Uh, and I, th- I'd want to say what I think I hear you saying, Michael is not so fast. <laughs> like <laughs> that, like that, that's great. Like we, we should try as much as we can to preserve and, um, and uphold and affirm God's good creation, which includes life. And I'll go on record saying to ab- abortion is a, is a scourge in God's good world. It's, it's, it's yeah. bad uh, well said. as, as, as is many other things that uh, we approve of, um, so I, I don't imagine it's super easy um, to to extract. Um, so I'm also not against uh, laws which allow, which give structure to God's right uh, will. Um, but yeah, I just
1: to be clear, we're not sitting here saying. Oh, the the solution is let the world world the world is going to do what it's going to do, and in the church, we just won't have abortions. That's not what we're saying either. Yeah. It's just how we go about influencing uh-huh, uh-huh, the
2: world. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yeah. And I think I, I, I think um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to say things that are like patronizing. That we you know, but you know. Uh, my, my heart says well, we we need to learn to be prayerful and and to and to lament and grieve and I I have I have some thoughts that I think they're more on the end of like well this has happened so now what what how should we be how do we right. coexist because I think temper temperature is is high and and I I especially sympathize I'm really interested to hear what G, what G thinks but you know. Especially if you're a woman and you have to face this like how how are you not provoked uh by by all of this so um yeah, so I think, yeah, I think gee, that, solve
1: all this for, us.
2: yeah, would you that'd be great,
0: <laughs> oh man, you know in in my close circles, and you two are a part of those, but definitely here in Reno, I could be known as somewhat of a daughter of thunder, I've been told <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh,
0: and so <laughs> does your husband
1: is call mother? you that? <laughs>
0: I'm sure he has many names, <laughs> could probably the daughter, of, daughter of, thunder. of thunder, something, but, uh, like my immediate reactions as a woman, um, and I recognize they were mostly influenced by how I grew up. And so I had to really think about, okay, now as a disciple and the beliefs I have, and that I stand very firmly against the sanctity of life issues and always, it was still pretty challenging. To battle the thoughts in my brain. For background knowledge, my mother was raped at 16. So I'm a product of ra- I am immensely grateful to be here today. Um, and, you know, I, I think my mom would say she couldn't think of me not being here. But it was a really challenging road that she took. Um, and she has had a lot of things that she's had to struggle and go through because of making the decision to keep me. And at 16, uh, she wasn't choosing Jesus's way of life at that point. She was very young, uh, didn't necessarily grow up in the church. So she didn't really have a kingdom mindset, but still chose to have me. So, uh, you know, I come from it from the perspective of, yeah, like I want every person to know what it feels like to be me, to still be here, to have supportive mom, to have a mostly supportive family that she had and, you know, and us be what the world would call like a success story. Not everyone's life is like that though. And it can be really challenging. Some of the friends I've had and stories that I've heard they've had to go through and even stories of people who needed medically necessary abortions. Um, and so for me, it it was just difficult because what I see about God is that he is all about life and he is all about freedom. So it's really hard for me to know where the balance is, uh, when those two come to a head. And, uh, I tend to sway towards, I would say, uh, allowing people to make decisions based off of God's love uh, and having the freedom to do that. Because in nowhere do I see God forcing people to make changes in their life or to live a kingdom way uh, by rules. And, and even I see Jesus saying the Pharisees' hearts are far from them. So to Michael's point, are we really changing hearts? I, don't, I, I see this decision as a win for a particular political side not necessarily a win for the kingdom in my mindset because there's so many other areas uh sanctity of life issues that are going left un un what, I don't want to say unnoticed but unattended to. And so that gets me really riled up uh when I hear so much about one particular life issue and not about the rest um because when you are a young mother who has gone through what my mom did and has a child like me you're not just facing the nine months that you're carrying this child, the mental struggles that you go through. You're going to be facing healthcare issues, uh, poverty issues, educational issues, um, many different issues that didn't wasn't a great situation to help her thrive in life. Um, and so this has left me just in a, a somewhat of just a frustrated position. I'm you know a hundred percent think that my choice to be a disciple and to follow Jesus makes it so that I would not have an abortion myself. Um, if that was the case, you know, and I'm sure if I was presented with that option, I would still be forced to thinking about it. There's just so much nuance to it. So, um, like, like I mentioned, medically necessary abortions, if the child has already passed away inside of you and is killing the mother and we don't, allow that. Then what? Do we not save the life of the mother? Is her life not just as important? Um, And me being (laughs) almost seven months pregnant, you know that's a real fear. What if I was like this news story I've heard of a woman in in Greece and this happened. They don't do abortions, but this happened to her and she was dying and they wouldn't perform it on her. I asked Reggie, what would we do in that situation? Um, Because I'm sure he wouldn't want to have me pass away. I wouldn't like it would just be so hard. So tough all the way around, but I, I just come typically to the ending point where I feel like uh I I don't like taking people's choices away um because I want their hearts to be changed. That's the only way because people are gonna find a way around this law. Uh And any law that's made, if they really want to, if their heart is not changed, and I actually went to this scripture this morning, and it's not specifically on this topic, but James three thirteen in the n l t version it says, "If you are wise and understand God's ways, the ways of the kingdom, prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. So when a situation like this comes up, I'm just thinking about how can i go how can I be wise about this um I refrained from speaking on social media about this topic specifically just because I didn't, I didn't think it'd be wise adding to the conversation in that way, but I'm glad we're having the conversation here. Um, that's, those are pretty much my thoughts in, in a yeah small package.
1: Well, let, let me say G first of all, thank you so much for sharing, uh, some of your own personal story and, uh, wow, what, a, what an incredible um, woman your mother is and the strength that she showed. Um, and, and so we're just really grateful for your sharing that and your perspective. I do think as, as you were talking, my mind kind of turned to Augustine in the fourth century who starts out against forced conversions you you nodded G like well of course your mind went to Augustine in the fourth century no, I and mean, you know, I was taking one didn't.
0: Yale <laughs> class online for free during uh, COVID that right. went over no, you just had this look and like, and like well, yeah I of course of course you went to
1: it. Um, <laughs> but no he he started out being against forced conversions and then eventually came to accept them as well it's not ideal but it's for the good of society and those people who are forced into conversion because ultimately they'll be forced to live um the kingdom way and what it actually did is is blow up the church it became not christianity anymore it became quasi cultural religion um you know that sort of thing and so the, the they were wrestling with you know ends Versus means and and methods as well. And so obviously not directly parallel. But I I do think, again, it emphasizes um, the reality that, look, we all want to be in a country where there are as few abortions as possible, where there are no abortions if possible. But how as kingdom people do we get there? Do we do we? use methods like those who embrace force conversions that actually wind up working against what we're trying to do long-term. Um, that's kind of what we're talking about. And I want to say one more thing, Jason, and then um, I think you um, can end us off with some thoughts, but I think, um you know, w- what is next? You know, all, all we can do now is move forward. So, roe versus wade has been overturned um i i'm in 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 one sense um i'm i'm happy about that i i wish it came about through some other means i think but um the question is now how do we work together as christians to create a culture of life um are we are we stepping up and saying, man, we've got to take care of these families now, of these babies. We've got to create a culture um, that will support the, the most vulnerable, the most poor. Are we willing to sacrifice of our own lives and means and get involved in foster care and adoption and supporting adoptions and um, those sorts of things, you know, are we going to put as much energy into all of those type situations uh, as, you know, people did uh, getting Roe versus Wade overturned, which I think if we had turned our full energy to these things 50 years ago, we'd probably be much farther ahead, actually, because these are kingdom methods than we are today. Well, we can't go back and change the last 50 years, but we can ask, what are we doing moving forward? So I think that's kind of what is next that we have to figure out as the people of God. Jason, what do you want to say to kind of wrap this up?
2: Yeah, well, I appreciate. Yeah, also, gee, thanks for sharing what you shared. And I think, I think you know... um, yeah, it's it's just a, a heartbreaking uh, thing that we yet another heartbreaking thing we have to face at full volume. I mean, anymore, it's like from one dramatic, challenging um, uh, reality to the next lately in, in our country, in the world. And so I, I guess that's not new. Uh but it, it does uh I think demand the church to to have her wits about her. Um and be, be aware. Um I, I think I, I think, yeah, the, these yeah, the and, and let me let me qualify. When I said earlier that I think abortion is a scourge, I, I didn't mean to say that like the, the people having uh, abortions are a scourge. Um I, I, I think I think that the world is populated with, with evils and people who uh, rape and whose understanding of the other is jacked up beyond what we can just uh, fix with a Bible study or a law or, um, but so I, I do think that these are the whole discussion is soaked in a fallenness. uh the whole thing. And, and I think that, that, that can be overwhelming for us as Christians um, because what accompanies all of these challenging realities is, and I'll put myself in, because I'm a part of the church, I, I mean me too, but an in, an, an immature uh, way of dealing with this in the church. And we've been tutored uh, not only to attack these issues uh, We've learned to attack them from the world around us, uh, but we've been tutored how to deal with it uh, from by the world around us. And so, I think this is a um, you know not to sound trite, but this is a a moment, uh, yet another moment, where as the church we need we need to turn back to Scripture and learn the uh, the the difficult lesson of lament. Um, and I know lament is a, is a, is a popular thing. Uh, now we're having more conversations about it and I don't want to that, you know, what I'm saying here to be drowned out by, by all of that. But, but, uh, I will say scripture offers a way of dealing with pain, uh, that, that teaches the church, um, especially the Psalms, you know, places like, like Job, uh, Lamentations, uh you know uh, m- much of the prophets uh, uh that, that you you see um where where the world is kind of folding in on itself and where we can see that the the answer or the solution is beyond what we have to just you know there's not a silver bullet in our in our what do i say in our holster or in our our chamber or whatever that's Arsenal. a terrible metaphor yeah it doesn't make because that's just a violent metaphor forgive me <laughs> but but the the um but that we have to learn to sh- to show up in these places prayerfully, um, having Scripture um, teach us how to pray. And I, and I I like you know we have this beautiful prayer from the Lord, um, you know, Thy Kingdom come, Thy will be done. And I, and I don't think we've really tapped into what what that can do for us. I mean, I think of the book of Psalms, it opens with this emphasis on, on God's teaching and how we, the, the, the man, and I think not just any old man, but the king delights in God's teaching. And then we have right after that, this, this prayer um, or poem rather of uh, how God has installed his king in Zion. And, and then after these two poems, what we call Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, we get the first real psalm, which is Psalm 3, and it's a lament. But you have to pass by these first two psalms, which emphasize God's teaching and God's king. And I think it's instructive because we we have to learn how to, to have our imaginations calibrated by God's word. And when we do that, we learn that the whole thing is about God's reign. The whole thing is about God coming to take over uh, what we've tried to take from him. And and I think we have to learn how to do that. And that means tears. That means being frustrated to the point of like, we want to kill the person in the pew sitting next to us who disagrees. But the way forward is to sit in prayer and let us be confronted with the love of God um, and, and feel, I, I think, and I know this is challenging, but feel our own helplessness before some of this. Um, and, and I know that sounds like, uh, you know, that can sound like I'm being faithless, but I think it's one of the most faithful postures, which we'll encounter in a bit in Mark, right? The father whose son is dying. He says, I believe, I believe I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe, but help thou mine unbelief, right? That we have to c- come to a place where like, we're really struggling to see how God is going to do anything through any of this. And I don't think we're there. I think we're, we're, we're the temperatures are so high that we we can't find a humble posture of prayer, and that's going to hurt us. We're going to burn ourselves out if we don't learn to to take a breath, come before God, rest in Him uh, together. And so, okay, practically, and then I'll shut up. I think this means gathering with friends. I think this, and I don't mean like people who share what you believe so you can just vent about it but I think it's gathering humbly and just being honest, like I'm struggling to trust God through. I'm so angry that I don't, I don't even want to see people who also belong to God's family and learning to work through that together. And that's difficult. But I think the challenge is to show up, to to show up at, at, at those kind of gatherings, whether one or two or three or family group, whatever. Um, but, uh, I, I think as the church does that, we show up, we find ourselves in prayer, we, we learn to trust God. I think that allows us to clear our minds and now start to think, okay, we're the church. Like we're not we're not Washington. Like we you know, we don't have uh uh we don't have a building right next to the the White House that you know functions for the church. We are the the people of God let loose in creation. So now it's okay, the world has fallen. How can we be the love and support of God where the world is f- turning against itself? Um, and I don't think we're there. Um, I don't think we're there yet. I don't think I'm there yet. So um, we have a lot of work to do on ourselves, uh, let alone fixing the problem of abortion. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I'm off base with a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Th- thoughts Thoughts on what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe I'm just... Um, sidestepping some of the issues, but.
0: Jason, no, we appreciate it. I think you made a lot of great points and some practical things for me to think about going, going to church and having conversations with those that may think opposite of me seems challenging in my mind, but, uh, I know God typically wants us in places where we're uncomfortable and I, I don't see a way forward without us having those conversations. Yeah. So yeah. thank you for both of you um, for your opinions on the topic and just giving a voice to some thoughts. I know a lot of people, like we said, in our movement, uh, you know, they may be struggling with this decision or uh, maybe they're rejoicing with this decision, but we appreciate you guys for taking on a heavy topic. And uh, we have a lot more coming next week, but also just um, great stuff on everything that we talked about Mark earlier praying everyone remembers those, those baskets, the 12 and the 7 what they represent and um, making sure the corruption of the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod doesn't seep in to where we're trying to go as a kingdom focused people. Alright guys, we will catch you guys next time.